My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Hi, I'm Stephen, and today we've got the last message in our sermon series on the book of James, a series that we've called Resilient. Help us to have genuine faith in the face of the difficulties of, of life, which I think is being particularly relevant as we've kind of been facing this tough season of coming out of the pandemic and trying, get, trying to get back into things. And uh, I love the book of James. I love sitting under the teaching as well as delivering it as well and just reading it regularly week on week over this term. Loving what James has got to say to us and just absorbing it. Uh, but James is pretty hard hitting. I like the fact that he calls a spade to a spade, but some of the things he says to us are pretty hard. Let me give you just a quick list of some of the things that we've been hearing about this term. James says this, don't doubt, don't be angry, take God's word, the Bible, seriously. Look after the poor, treat others fairly, watch your words, don't be selfish, don't quarrel, don't boast, be patient, pray for the sick, don't grumble, be steadfast, pray big prayers. That is quite a list for us to hear and take on board and absorb. How are we going to do all these things? And, and now in the last few verses of this letter that James has written, what's he going to say to us now? Is he going to say, you better do all these things or else? No, that's not how James finishes. James finishes with a tone that is actually kept all the way through the uh, letter he's written to us. One of brotherly affection, of warmth, of grace. In fact, the last two weeks, we've been looking at the last section before this one, where we have verse 11, where James says this, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James wants us to know that we've got a good God. As he rounds up this Bible, he's saying, hey, you know what? God is good to you. You are not necessarily good people. You're not going to keep these things, but don't worry because you have a good God who is compassionate and merciful. We'll look at these verses in a moment and we're going to see that all of us have a tendency to get lost and wander off. But the great news is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We see this in Jesus' teaching and we see this in the way that Jesus lived his life. I love in Luke where Jesus tells uh, parables, three parables in a row about things that are lost. He talks about a lost coin, someone who's lost money, someone who's lost sheep, lost their livelihood, and someone who has lost their very own son. Jesus talks about these lost things. He talks about those lost things. Why? Because he's making the point that he came to find lost things and each of those lost things is found and the people who find them are then full of jubilation full of celebration and that's what's God like God's like he comes to find us kind to find what's lost and he finds them and there is celebration when they're found so Jesus teaches it but Jesus also lives it if you look at the, the uh, descriptions of Jesus interactions with people sometimes he comes up against hypocrites hard-nosed people and he's got some pretty stern words to say to them but he also deals with lots of people who are lost, who are feeling shamed, who are feeling weak. And what does he have for them? He has for them compassion and mercy. He deals tenderly with them. That's such good news for us because we too at times are lost. We sometimes are aware of our weakness. Sometimes we are full of shame, all too aware of our humble circumstance and our feeble efforts. Well, Jesus comes to us in tenderness and love and compassion and grace and mercy. And James is highlighting these things to us in his last few verses. He has told us a whole bunch of things that we should do and we should aspire to do, want to do, but doesn't end with a or else. 
but instead he acknowledges the fact that we all fall short, every one of us, every single day. But he's pointing out that's why Jesus came. He came to restore us, to bring us back to himself, back to, back to himself, back to truth is what we're going to look at in a moment. That's Jesus' priority, that's James' priority, and that's also to be our priority too, to find him, to be found by him, to seek him, to trust him. But it's also an invitation to co-labor with him. I love that phrase, co-labor. This basically means be Jesus' workmates. Jesus said, you know, I've got this work where I'm trying to find people. Why don't you join me in it? We get to help him in the thing that he's doing on the earth. Now, when we say help, it's not because he needs help, but because he wants us to join him with the thing that he's doing on the earth. Here at Emmanuel, our tagline is helping people find their way back to God. That's what God's about doing. That's what a church around the world is about doing. And that's what Emmanuel is all about. That's what we want to do. We want to help people find their way back to God. And we live in a city, in Brian Hove. Maybe you live in Shoreham, in that town. People are all around us who need to know Jesus. People who are made for a relationship with him, but because of sin, things that we think, do, and say that are wrong, we've been separated from him. And we've got this wonderful work of bringing people back. That's why we exist on Sundays. That's why we run Alpha Alpha Courses. That's why I encourage you to get out there and bless your communities because we want people to know about Jesus. Maybe you're someone looking in right now thinking, what is this Christian faith all about? We want to say, hey, it's about knowing Jesus, finding your way back to him. It's our prayer for you that you come to know him. But in this passage, in these last few verses, James says, when people among you, anyone among you wanders, so there's also that sense, even people within the church, we wander away from God and we need help coming back to him. We need to be those who get reminded again of the truth and where we've gone off course, need to come back, need to be found. And that's a week by week, day by day thing. We need to come and live under the truth of the scriptures, the truth of the gospel as well. And we get to experience that for ourselves, but also help others with that. James here, uses the vaguest of terms in these verses. He says this, if anyone among you wonders, if any of us, which is because any of us do, every one of us do, we all can wonder. All of us can get ourselves in that lost category. And we'll discuss in a moment what this looks like. But also the second thing he says, is, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, that whoever is also referring to us, any of us, can be involved with being the finders. We can be in the lost category, but we can also join Jesus in being finders. People who go and find others and bring them back. We can know the joy of being found and also in the joy of finding. Jesus' parables about the lost, what are they ending? They, enjoy, they end in parties. A joy over a coin being found, a sheep being found, a son being found. When any one of us is found, there is joy within our community. We get to join, in fact, heaven when it celebrates over those who repent and find their way back to God. But what is being lost? What is this wandering that Jesus is talking about? Well, James helps us. He says this, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, from the truth. It's not about a particular set of behaviours that we've wandered from. It's ultimately about wandering from what is true, departing from what is certain and sure, what is good and life-giving to that which is not true. In fact, wandering to things that are lies. This isn't about pitting one set of beliefs against another, one set of truths against another. No, that's, uh, that doesn't work. Not about your truth by versus my truth. No, it's firstly understanding that that, does, that, is, that doesn't work. There can only be one truth. That's his definition. There is just one truth. And anything that is not true is not another true. Truth is actually a lie. 
When I was about 10 years old, I went on an activity holiday with one of my best friends. For the sake of this story, a guy I'm going to call Chris. And I went on an activities holiday, and the first, one of the first activities did, we did was an orienteering competition. So we got taught how to do it, and we got split into teams, and uh, all got sent out on these fields to go and track down a bunch of letters. And we go to different points, collect the letters, and then we're to race back to the base with these letters, unscramble them, and make a word and win the competition. The team that did it fastest would win. So I was putting one team, my friend Chris was putting another team, and I think he was the team leader, I think I was the team leader of my one, and off we went, and we were orienteering, finding various letters. But about halfway through uh, the competition, we, our two teams bumped into one another. And I said, How, how's it going? How's your team doing? He's like, doing pretty well, thanks so much. How's your team? Like, Actually, we're doing pretty well as well. In fact, I think we're going to win. He said, well, I think we're going to win. And I said to each other, let's guarantee that definitely one of our teams wins. Why don't we share the letters we've already found? And so it still might make you win, but at least we know one of our teams will win. Let's do it. And so we shared our letters with one another and then we carried on the orienteering. And sure enough, we got back to the base. In fact, my team got back to the base first. And we started unscrubbing the letters. They couldn't quite find the right combination. We couldn't find the right words or word that we're meant to be looking for to win the, the, the competition. And sure enough, my friend Chris, his team then got back and they started unscrambling letters. In fact, they unscrambled the letters first and they won. I said, no way, he's won, they've won. We need to do better, we can do this. And one of my team says to me, Stephen, are you sure that Chris gave us the right letters? I said, of course he did, he's one of my best friends. He wouldn't have lied to me, they must be the right ones. And sure enough, we're there trying to work it out still. And then one by one, the other teams started arriving back, unscrambling letters, getting the prize and getting their names on the leaderboard. Eventually, the, the base leader came over to us and said, team, you've not done it. And it's because you've got the wrong letters. Suddenly, the penny drops. My team, who are already ahead of me, have worked it out. But suddenly I realized, Chris has downright lied to me. He has betrayed me. We have the wrong letters. He has stacked it so that his team could win. Not just that his team would win, but so that we would lose. The sense of betrayal and outrage at the time was high. And uh, I had to say, as I thought of this illustration last week, that his feelings came back, you know. That was 30 years ago. And I was like, what? I can't believe he did that to me. Our team had thought we knew the truth. We thought we knew what was right, but was actually a total lie. And that's the same with us. We don't give away the truth for, for a different type of truth. We give away truth for a lie, but we don't know it's a lie at the time. We believe it's because there's another truth we found, but it's not. It's false. It's not something we can actually stand upon, walk upon, put our trust in. We try to, but for our own loss, for our own destruction, if we go that way. We too can be fooled by others, but often we're busy fooling ourselves. We give in to our own desires. Instead of trusting God for what he says is good, we seek things that we think are good. And we think that well, this quick bit of pleasure here is better for me than what is right and true. Sometimes we are tricked or fooled or lied to by the devil. We believe in a good, mighty, Trinitarian God. We also believe in a supernatural being called Satan and the devil. And the Bible tells us that he is the father of what? Of lies. He's anti-truth. He's here to trick us, to deceive us. And we need to be those who are aware of his evil schemes. And he puts thoughts and feelings and situations around us that come against the truth that we're meant to stand upon. We can also just be lied by the world. We have a world that is deceived. 
And uh, we sit under preaching maybe 20, 30, 40 minutes a week. But the world is preaching us 24-7. All kinds of things that are just anti-God, that are not true. As a result, all of us are prone to wander, to get lost. It's easy to slip from our full commitment to Jesus. Easy to slip from um, full confidence in him. My favourite hymn is Come Now Fount of Every Blessing. Partly because it has these words. It says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, I will take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I realise there is an anti-God bias in me, that I am prone to wander. I know the truth, but I wander off from it. Daily, weekly. Now, not in massive destruction ways often, but just in subtle ways it creeps into my heart. And that's the story of every single human, right from the outset. We go back to the book of Genesis. We see Adam and Eve, these first humans who are walking with God, walking with truth. But then the evil one, the serpent, just comes and speaks to Eve. says, is God really good? Did God really say you can't have that fruit? And just causes a doubt in her. All she does is take a bite of a bit of fruit, but it ends in destruction, ends in bringing death and curse into the world just by believing something that isn't true, just goes off course. Two weeks ago, we looked at the the person of Elijah, this great prophet, and uh, Toby was using him from the letter of James, where James talks about him being a man just like me and you. He was a righteous man who prayed amazing prayers, and we too can pray amazing things. Elijah was like us, we're like him in terms of the fact that we can pray big prayers. But Elijah was like you and was like me in the sense that he was also a weak person. He had great mountaintop experiences with God, but he also wandered from the truth down into the deep valleys as well. I read this this week about his life. It says this, Elijah could rise to the heights of faith and commitment, but he also fell into the depths of despair and depression. He could be brave and resolute sometimes and then fly for his life at a whiff of danger. He could be selfless in his concern for others and then filled with self-pity. Great prophets like Elijah, even they have this roller coaster of walking with God, but then walking off in another direction. We're the same, just in, our, in those weeks. Today is Palm Sunday. This wonderful day where Jesus got celebrated as he walked into uh, Jerusalem. His disciples think, wow, this is the victorious Jesus. But seven, less than seven days later, those same disciples had abandoned him. The crowds had abandoned him. Think in just that space of just a few days, they had abandoned this one they'd celebrated. We can be the same. We can raise our hands on Sunday worshipping God, but suddenly when it comes to Wednesday, we're in a situation that's difficult. We fail to trust him. We fail to turn to him in prayer. We fail to praise him. I've heard leaders teach about the gospel and trusting Jesus on a Sunday and then get to the Wednesday and themselves are struggling to trust him. doesn't matter who you are. This is a weakness that is in us. You and me, we wander from the truth. And it really is just a wandering. It's not often many of us that jump from being in truth into being in a lie. Jumping from truth into a place of destruction. No, it is a wandering. It's just a matter of going off by degrees. But if you're on a boat and it was setting sail for a certain destination and it went off by one or two or three degrees at the beginning, by the end of the journey, we'd be way off course. You'd arrive somewhere totally different to where you're meant to be going. Or imagine a plane, a plane that's flying straight but we're not noticing the pilot hasn't noticed that it's dipped by a few degrees. Eventually, it'll be crashed into the ground or maybe gone a few degrees up, far off into space. Just a matter of degrees, just that subtle shift from the truth is not truth anymore. It's set on course for destruction. 
As we were discussing this sermon as a team a couple of weeks ago, uh, someone made the point that uh, Psalm 1 helps us with the fact that it's often not the big actions that lead to destruction. It says this in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You could say uh, delights in the truth of the Lord, meditates on the truth day and night. Well, they're like, they're like someone who's planted like a tree, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that it does, it prospers. To be planted in truth day and night is like a tree planted by water. It puts out branches, it puts out wonderful fruit. And even when there's a drought or a difficult season, its leaves do not wither. That's how we're meant to be planted in truth. But at the beginning, it talks about the fact that the opposite of that. What's the opposite? The opposite of that is to walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. This sense of just, I'm just walking, I'm just standing, I'm just sitting in the wrong place. And uh, it's not the fact that we've jumped into it, we've not run hard after evil and wrong. No, we're just the way we've positioned ourselves, in subtle ways. We've just sat in the wrong place, sat in some bitterness maybe. Maybe we've walked in a bit of doubt. Maybe we've just sat down in something that's not quite right. That's what happens to us. Suddenly, doubt unchecked begins to spin out our whole faith. Hidden desires or hidden sins, left unchecked, left unconfessed, left unrepented of, can grow into bigger things. Unforgiveness can lead to ingrained bitterness. A simple action leads to habits that are formed and hard to break. Disappointments around something can lead to us mistrusting God altogether. Just those subtle ways that we sit and walk and stand in life in ways that are not true can lead to wholesale distraction. For some today, there may be some really obvious ways that this is playing out. You can see it in your life where it's not right and not good. But for most of us, we just need to take today to look at the subtle things and the subtle ways that we're not living in God's truth. Let's be asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come and highlight things in my life that aren't right. Where am I not trusting you? Where have I chosen to believe a lie? Where am I chasing after my own desires or listening to the devil or letting the culture shape my thinking rather than Jesus shape it? We also, to know the wrong path, we need to know what the right path is. So in my example, I had the wrong letters. The only, in my orienteering kind of uh, uh, competition, the only way I could find out what the truth was to be given the right letters, to go and find the right things. And so to really to know what's wrong, we need to first of all know what is right. I've heard that illustration many times on this platform. If you, know, if you want to know about counterfeit money, how do you know what counterfeit money looks like? It's by knowing what genuine money looks like. If you want to know what a fake fiver looks like? You need to know what a real fiver looks like. So what is the real truth? The truth is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus himself, in fact, is the way, the truth and the life. It's an understanding that the world is sick with sin. You and I have a, are sick with sin. That we have things that we've done, thought and said are wrong. In fact, we have an anti-God bias. That means that we're on a path to destruction. We deserve to be punished for our sin. And there is only one way out of that. There's one great need that every person that has, and that's the forgiveness of God. And that can only come one way, and that's through Jesus. Jesus who came to earth to seek and save that was lost. Jesus who came, who died upon a cross to receive the punishment that we deserve so that he could totally cover our sin, cover all our wrong, pay for it all so that we can know forgiveness, that we can know God's love. 
that he rose from the dead to prove that he had beaten sin and death. He went back to heaven. He's there praying for us that we might know him, find him and stay in him. That's the truth that we need to know, that we need to lean on him. We mustn't just have a version of Christianity. We must have true Christian faith. We believe on Jesus, not Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus something else to find, uh, find favour with him is a lie. It is Jesus alone that we must trust in. In fact, you can do all that James has talked about in this book. You can look after the poor, watch your words, be fair to everyone, avoid worldly passions, pray for others and still not be saved. Don't answer the question of whether you are saved by pointing to your life. We must point to Jesus. Unless you trust in Jesus alone for forgiveness for your eternal life, then you will not have it. You can never deserve it. You can never earn it. It is a free gift, but a gift nevertheless that we have to receive. I'm looking forward to our Good Friday service this coming Friday, where we're going to look at the crucifixion. What in fact is the worst thing that ever happened on earth, that the pure and perfect God should die at the hands of those he created. It's the worst thing. It's also the best thing. It's the thing that led to life for, for those who put their trust in Jesus. It led to salvation, for hope in this life and the next. But it's serious. It's serious if we don't put our trust in him. James tells us, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. From eternal death, from eternal separation from God. That's what he's saying. This is serious. Strong words, yes. We've got our tagline, helping people find their way back to God. We could easily have added a second phrase and saving them from death and destruction. It's pretty serious, serious business. If you don't know Jesus, if you can't answer the question, if you died on your way home from church today, where would you go? Unless you can answer that with certainty, then you need to get certain. You need to answer, Jesus is my certainty. Each of us are sinful. You are sinful. You have got things wrong, things that you are going to have to pay for. You have a debt that needs covering, a moral debt that needs covering. And only Jesus can pay that for you. You cannot pay it off. And there's a time limit. The time is ticking. You do not know when your life will end. And here, when James talks about covering a multitude of sins, when he brings someone back, we're helping them back under Jesus' covering. Jesus can get it covered for you. Do you know when you save up for something, you use that phrase, hey, I've got it covered. I've got enough money to cover it. Jesus has enough to cover you. He came to cover your sin. But you have to come under his covering. If you try and cover it yourself, you are going to be left short, my friend. But he has compassion and mercy on you. But you have to come under the covering. You have to choose to come under his compassion and mercy. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet, if you're looking in, working out the Christian faith, let me encourage you, don't delay. Turn to him today. You need to, you need to get this sorted. We'd love to help you with that. We've got our Alpha course, weareemmanuel.com forward slash Alpha. It's a great course to explore this, to understand it better. Or come and speak to one of our pastors. We'd love to help you with that. But maybe you're here, someone here who's already a Christian. You might say, Stephen, if I wander from the truth, will that lead to my death? Will I, am I in a place of destruction? Well, the answer is no. Once you come under Jesus' covering, you've got, a, got it for all time. If you wander from the truth, Maybe you're living in a certain way that's no longer quite right. No, God has already forgiven you for everything you've ever done, anything you're currently doing, anything you will ever do. That's the scandal of what God has done for you. It's amazing the power of his grace and his, his death upon the cross. But you better be sure that you are covered. 
You better sure you do have genuine faith in him. And if you know you're off course, don't live that. Don't cheapen the grace and the salvation that God has given you. But there are also maybe others in our congregation who claim to be in the family of God and yet are not saved. And the fact is that we only have evidence of what they say or what they do of their lives. We're not privy to the secret of another person's heart, nor the secret counsel that they have with God. Therefore, when someone is off path, when they're off truth, let's not console ourselves. Well, well, I think they made a a confession for Jesus once. I think they put their hands up. Well, you can never be sure. So let's treat people as if they need saving from the seriousness of eternal death. So when we see evidences in people's life that isn't quite right, we need to help them. But what do we do? How do we help them? Let's finish by looking at how can we be those who co-labor, work with Jesus to bring people back to God. So what do we do? If we see something in someone's life and say there's, there's things they're saying, things they're doing or things they're thinking, that we know just isn't quite the truth. What do we do? Well, the first thing we do, as with lots of things in church life, we begin with prayer. We begin by praying for them. We slow down enough to turn our prayers to God before we turn our words to them. I once had a time when me and my wife had the privilege of leading another couple to Jesus and uh, seeing them move towards him. And as we began to, to discuss things going on in their life, we realised that there were things in their life and things in the home that pointed to occultic practices, basically devil worship in reality. Things that they were kind of doing that we know were displeasing to God and ultimately not good for them. And uh, we're working out how do we raise this with them? How do we work out how to tell them that, you know what, that's not pleasing to God and you need to put it out of their life. Are they going to end up not wanting to come to church anymore? And then what Jesus, so we just started worrying about it. And we turned that worry to prayer. So God, help us. Give us courage to raise us with them. Help them turn away from these practices. And so we prayed and then we went around to see them. And we got there, we got, got, got in, had a cup of tea. And they opened up the conversation going, Stephen, guess what? We just really felt like God tell us to get rid of all those things at home that weren't pleasing to him. And we were just wowed. God is well able to do what he needs to do without our help. He wants to use us. He loves to work with us, but he's well able to do it without us often. Let's pray. Pray for courage to do it. Also pray for people that God shows them, highlights things for them. First thing, pray. Second thing, listen. All of us have been on the end of other people making judgy statements at us. I think of times in my life where people have kind of burst in upon my life. I see this in your life. You're clearly wrong and this, that and the other. They've made judgments from something they've seen or something they've heard from someone else often. And uh, we don't want to be like that. When we come to people, let's not come with big judgy statements. Let's come and ask questions. Ask things in a way we say, hey, I see something in your life. Am I seeing this right? Is this evidence that you're no longer walking in the truth of who God is? Let's ask questions. Let's be those who love. Often we get that tone right. Why? Because we already have love and affection for those other people. God comes to point things out in our life that are wrong, but he does it with compassion and mercy. He exposes our sin, but he does it in such a gentle and kind way. You see the way that Jesus tenderly deals with people in the Gospels. We're to be the same. We're to have love and compassion for the person in front of us. The stronger our bridge of love and relationship, the more we can drive across it in terms of telling someone the truth. Tell them, hey, you need to come back this way. We want to come with a motivation of love. Often we come with motivation of the fact that person has annoyed us or they've not met our expectation, or they've hurt someone we love, and we just want to tell them and put them right. If that's your motivation, slow down. Go and pray again. Come and listen. Come and love. Let's come with humility as well. Each of us are those who wander from time to time. 
Each of us need to be brought back as well. When we go and tell someone, we're going to come and say, hey, I just see something in your life, but you know what? I know I've got plenty wrong in my life too, that I still need God's help with. In fact, if you see stuff, please feel free to come and speak into my life. That's a bold thing to say to someone. There's a humility there to admit, you know, all of us are unfinished. All of us need help. I was speaking to a friend of mine recently who was very cross with another friend of ours who had lied, very blatantly lied to them. They said, I would never lie like, like that. Like, I would never lie like they have done. I can't believe they've done this. And uh, I just very gently said to them, yes, I don't think you would lie like that, but you do lie in all kinds of subtle ways. You polish the way that you live to us. You give a front to us like we all do. And so you may not lie at that depth, but you also have fallen short in this area. No one can say that they are perfectly truthful with everything they say or do. And so help them say, you're right. I need humility. I need to love that person. I need to challenge them, yes, but I want to love them first. Let's come with humility, but let's still be courageous people. Don't shrink back from doing what is right. Let the Holy Spirit grab hold of your heart and go and say the right thing to someone. It's hard at times, isn't it? And Toby was speaking a couple of weeks ago that he's from a Nigerian culture and they're a bit more bold. They call a spade a spade. And we English, if you're English, uh, can be a bit, bit, bit too polite, although I don't think anyone has ever accused me of being too polite. Uh, but maybe for you, it's, it's, it's really outside your comfort zone. Well, all of us need courage to do it in love, to do it in humility, but to go eventually and speak to people about the things that you see in their life. To, let's do it too with urgency. Let's realize the seriousness of sin, the seriousness of just being off two degrees. Yeah, it's not bad right now, but we know where that heads eventually. I recently was driving home from the arena, marina. And if you've been to Brighton Marina, they have this uh, kind of roadway that kind of goes from the, down the, the marina up to the cliff top. And it kind of has these lights around it. It looks like Tron if you've ever driven it. And I was driving up there and this guy is standing in the road going like this, waving at me as I drive towards him. And so I kind of slow down, think I'm about to get carjacked. And eventually I was like, okay, well, I moved over to the other lane and just slowly went around the corner. As I turned the corner, literally just as I turned the corner, there's his car broken down in that lane. If I had zoomed around that corner, sure enough, I would have crashed into it or, or got myself into a bit of trouble. I think, oh, thank goodness, this guy jumped in front of me. A sense of urgency, slow down, stop. We need to have the same urgency. We don't know the destiny of the person in front of you. You see something, you have a duty of care to them. That's what God's saying. They love me, but love your neighbour. Love your brother and sister in the church. And with a sense of urgency and passion, pray for them, love them, and then bring to them their sin. You can save their soul from death. You can cover over a multitude of sins. You can rescue them. And let's be intentional. When you see it, let's go after people. Let's pursue them. Let's go and find them. And a friend of mine that I was concerned with for a while and uh, started just kind of missing various settings that we used to be in together, stopped responding to messages. And eventually one night, I was just praying for them. I just felt like I need to go and see them. I need to go and see them now. And it was howling with wind outside. The rain was coming down. So I just put my coat on, which wasn't that great at the time, and walked over the hill to their house. And I turned up at their, their, their door, looking like a drowned rat, just knocked on the door. And they're pretty shocked to think, like, what are you doing here? And why are you out in the rain? I said, like, I'm here because Jesus loves you. And I think there's things in your life where you've just got yourself a bit confused. You've just got yourself a bit stuck. I just want to love and help you. And uh, I think it's fair to say they're a bit shocked to see me. They weren't all that keen to chat about to start with. But then it just begins, the heart begins to melt and just say, thank you. Thank you for coming to find me. And just such a privilege just to walk with my brother for a few, for a few weeks as I just kind of got myself back on course, back in truth. 
What a privilege it is that Jesus has found us. What a privilege it is to be co-laborers with him, to go and find other people and to help them as well. Who is it that God has put in your life right now, who you know is slightly off course, that you can help bring back to truth and to grace, back to Jesus? I love the song, uh, Build My Life, where it has this line, lead me in your love to those around me. Lead me in your love for me, for my sake, yes, but for those around me as well. Who is it? right now that you need to tell about Jesus. Maybe invite back to church. Maybe invite to church for the first time. Maybe help them onto an alpha course. Who is it around you though who just needs to be reminded of the truth? Maybe someone who's doubting. Maybe someone who's in a bit of distress or bitterness. You know what? Come with tender-hearted compassion to them because that's what God has. Let me finish by reading those words from the hymn from earlier as well. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God, help us. Bind us to you that we stay in your truth. We've called this series Resilient. We want to be a resilient people. But we're all too aware that we're not that resilient. But we have one who is eternally resilient who has not one moment wandered from the truth, who is truth themselves. We can come and be in him. We can lean on him. Let me encourage you. He is pursuing you. He has pursued you and will continue to do so. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus, that although we had all at one point been far from you, God, you came to die upon a cross, to win us back for yourself, to cover over the multitude of sins that we've committed that we might be forgiven, that we might know your love, that we might have a hope of eternal life with you. And God, you still know the daily battle that we're still in. Thank you, it's eventually it's going to come to an end. We're going to see you face to face. But until then, you know the daily battle of just staying in the truth, God. We pray, help us. Help us to keep our eyes upon you. Help us to stay in your word. Help us to stay in a place of prayer. And God, help us to do this well as a community. Lord God, take responsibility for our own sin, Lord, but we also take responsibility for each other's as well. Calling out in love and tenderness and compassion that we might be a holy bride, this wonderful church, uh, living for your glory, shining brightly in our city, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.